0: Lord, we're here on a Thursday night, night number 11. It's been a joy and a pleasure to make this journey with everyone. I pray, Lord, send your spirit tonight to bless all of us. I'm a prompter for study. I pray, Lord, may your conviction be in your word. May it be in this hour. And I'm asking now, Lord, when it's all said and done, that we would love you more and be the more prepared to challenge those who have mismanaged their ambassadorship, and represented you wrongly to the world with doctrines that, that destroy hope and confidence. So bless us now tonight, Lord, as we look at the eternal gospel, set so a watch before my lips, a guard before the door of my mouth, and I pray also for a holy boldness. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's make the journey, the eternal gospel. Jesus, uh, I want to put this in on the front side. The other night I had a presentation on the the gospel trumpets. We realize that I don't know which night we're in. We are in the part of the Jewish festival year tonight that is the Feast of Trumpets. It's going on in certain Jewish communities, even this evening. And I was showing you in 1 Corinthians 14 where it talks about the gift of prophecy as the one to desire. That whole chapter. It's about don't confuse people. Desire the gift of prophecy to edify which is to teach and instruct to exhort which is to encourage to do right and sometimes to correct put back in the path of right doing and to comfort or console but it's right in the early parts of that chapter where Paul writes and he says unless the trumpet gives a certain sound now those trumpets were used on battlefields to call people and then I took you immediately to the book of, of Revelation where it says the dragon went to make war. Now, I just don't want you to miss this on the front side of the book of Revelation that when Jesus shows up, this is Revelation 1.10, the voice that he hears, that John hears behind him, is the voice. This is a trumpet. This is a prophetic voice. that will be clear and distinct. The book is a revelation of Christ, the ultimate and preeminent prophet of his own people. All right. I want to talk to you tonight about what you're learning. Tonight, I'm going to emphasize something that for some is going to be very new. Most of you are here because at one point in time, you moved from a position of unbelief to belief. Someone presented the gospel to you, and you came to the other side. You came to a new perspective. Life came into your being. Your very visage, the hope that wells up from within, was new and and full and free. So you moved from being an unbeliever to being a believer. Someone lifted up the story of God's love on the cross and you felt God was calling you and you moved. Some of you have never made that move yet. Some of you watching me online have never made that move yet. I'm appealing to you. Tomorrow night, I'm going to give an invitation to make that move. I'm just warning you in advance. God is giving you the highest order of honor to invite you into a personal, living relationship with Him. Satan thought to separate us from, forever from God with sin. He didn't know God was going to come down and connect us closer than we would have been if sin never happened. It's an awesome thought. Dwell on it for a little while. Satan thought, I've done it. I've separated him from his children. Misery. What he didn't know is that before he created man, he was ready to come if man needed him to. It's an awesome thought. But most people that are listening to me now are at least considering moving from running their own life to saying, God, you can be trusted. I'll follow you. But the warning I want to give right now Is that the journey doesn't end? Jesus said, The road is wide that leads to destruction, and many find it, but the road is narrow that leads to eternal life. It's the journey that is transformational. So I made a decision. I decided to follow Jesus. Some people think I got doctrinal truth. And you know what? Getting doctrinal truth is the right thing to pursue. Jesus was all about the truth. His way of living embodied the application of that truth. But what you teach about God matters. When I'm done here tonight, you're going to have a lot to think about. At the end of the day, what you believe about God is going to shape how you treat people and how you live your life. Don't let anybody tell you that doctrine doesn't matter. Doctrine, it would be like saying, all you need are muscles and a heart to live. Without a bones, I'd be a pile on the stage. Doctrine is the bones upon which God breathes beauty in action, systematizing everything. Don't let anybody ever run down the benefit of doctrine. If you had a bad foundation on your house, you'd be paying forever to fix it. You might come to the place where you'd say, I'd rather get a bulldozer here and shove it in, and put a good foundation under That's what doctrine is. Truth matters. We're living in a supposedly postmodern age. What we're going to find out when the spiritual world breaks wide open, when this earth faces a bigger, crisis bigger than its science can solve and its political systems can fix, this world's going to be back at the feet of God and in the churches, and the seams are going to be bursting on religious institutions, at that moment in time, a failure to have gotten to know God is going to create a crisis that God wanted to avert. So, when I come into a church, I should study the doctrine, but just getting the doctrine is just the beginning because the doctrine is the foundation for an ongoing and developing lifelong relationship. So what happens? It's not enough. Jesus is the good shepherd and he moves on. There goes the cross. Jesus said, I'm to bear it with him. Now, the truth of the matter is, if I don't move after making the first move, I'm kind of in the middle. And I want to warn my Seventh-day Adventist brothers and sisters, there's a lot of people for whom this illustration is very relevant. They've not only not followed their fathers and mothers and gone on to higher ground and advanced the cause of God more, they've taken the blessings... And they've created a huge liability for their spiritual progress. They haven't moved. Some of them have actually regressed. But I want to tell you right now, if you were to look at that man's life represented by the red dot, you'd have a question. Is he for God or is he for his old ways? But Jesus isn't staying still and he moves on again. And this time when he moves on, things are starting to change. And he goes just a little bit farther. And when he gets a little farther and he shows up again... You tell me, which side is the man on that proclaimed Christ if if the cross itself is dividing the world? He became a Christian, she became a Christian, didn't follow on, didn't hear the voice of the shepherd, thinks they have doctrinal truth, might even go away saying, I received Jesus, I'm saved. And if they're unfortunate enough to believe that salvation was, was only at the cross, if the, that, that it, the point of the cross wasn't to open up a relationship. If they're unfortunate to believe primarily just in legal justification, they're lost thinking they're saved and they don't even know it. Think about it. God didn't come along just so that every day He could pour a little more grace on our record and we could stay like we were. God came into this world to give us a a revelation of who He is so that we could enter into a life-changing relationship through His indwelling presence through the Holy Spirit, so that we could actually be remade. There's power in this gospel. It's represented by the resurrection power of Jesus. And when Paul grabs on to the call to walk worthy, which is a common call in the epistles of Paul, walk worthy, it's because we've got resurrection power that can break the bonds of self inflicted dysfunction and besetting sin, we've got resurrection power because we have the love of Christ that's inside our heart, purifying the soul. Can you say amen? amen? Friends, tonight, it's not enough that your mama and your papa believed in Jesus. It's not even enough that you believed in Jesus. I know people, even of my own faith, whom they have called themselves, actually I've heard of them, Adventist atheists, In other words, they have the culture of their church, but they don't have the culture of Christ. Think about it. God designed us to be so different. And wouldn't you know it, we're living in an age where the worst thing you can be is different. But God designed that we should be so beautifully different (laughs) that everybody knows we've been with Him. So these three angels, I saw three angels. Tonight I want to focus on the first angel's message. Tomorrow night I'm going to focus on the second, which is the fall of Babylon. I'm going to talk about what it is. I'm going to talk about what to be looking for, and I'm going to talk about how not to be in it. The Bible describes an amazing fall of the religious systems of this world that have long since abandoned the journey of following Jesus and being led by the Spirit. But tonight, the first one. I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the what? Everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. By the way, friends, I love the New King James Version of the Bible, and I love the King James Version of the Bible, but I'm going to tell you, they don't always get everything exactly right. And this is one of those situations, because the problem with this translation about Uh, the Greek language here is that the word everlasting has the nuance of being that once the gospel showed up, it's never going to end. But tonight I have one order of business, and that's to show you that this is not what it means. Let's go a little farther. Saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. I've explained to you already, showing you that 2300 day prophecy. That when the prophecy was coming to an end, there were people on the earth saying, the prophecy's coming to an end and Jesus is going to come and burn this world up. The truth of the matter is, Jesus was getting ready to go into the final vindicating mode of ministry before he came. Because when he comes, he brings his reward. But the hour of judgment's come and worship Him. This is the big deal of the book of Revelation, who made heaven and earth and sea and the springs of water. Now, just a little commentary. The Geneva Study Bible says this angel is a type or a figure of the good and faithful servants of God, whom God raised up to the proclaiming of the gospel of Christ that's right in the message, everlasting gospel, both by preaching and by writing. I just want to make something clear. God has always worked through people, and the word for angel means messenger. The imperativeness, the importance, the loudness and the distinctness are all represented by these angels flying in the midst of heaven, but the messengers are always men, women, and children. Bengel says the same thing. Under the name of angels, the preachers of the heavenly doctrine come in Revelation 14, 6 and 7. So let's identify some key things out of this first angel. Number one, it is a messenger with a very important message. And I'm going to challenge all my Seventh-day Adventist brothers and sisters right now. If you've been a Seventh-day Adventist all your life, most of us are not acting like it's a very important message. Now I'm going to tell you something. I want to affirm you. Every single one of you that are here tonight are at least saying, this message needs to be heard every single person tuning in is here because there's a group of people that have said this message ought to get out by the way tomorrow evening we are taking up one more offering and anybody that wants to say with their pocketbook it's an urgent message and it ought to get out we're gonna give you one more chance no strong arming but an invitation to God's people to say this message needs to be heard it's an urgent message number two It is someone that understands and teaches the eternal gospel. That is the focus of my study tonight. If you don't understand and teach the eternal gospel, this message can't come from you. And it's not coming from your people group or your religious group. This group must understand the eternal gospel. And Before I'm done, I'm going to push almost all religious institutions off the map. And I'm not doing it for spite, and I'm not doing it because I want to. I'm just going to do it because there is a colossal amount of ignorance out there in regards to what this is and how doctrine, much doctrine of much of the Christian world cannot give this message. It's global in its mandate. Every nation, kindred, tribe, tongue, and people. Everybody ought to know who Jesus is. Amen? It's human messengers. We've gone over that, so it's up to us to get on with the message. But they understand and teach Bible prophecy. Pastor, how'd you get that out of there? Because it's very clear. It says the hour of judgment has come. Clearly, that is the end of the 2300 days, and those that are preaching this message are students of Bible prophecy, and they understand that not only was the first coming of Jesus prophesied, but a wake-up call before the second one, and it focuses on knowing God. This is the great privilege. It's the creator God it focuses on because this group still believes that he made everything. And I want to tell you that pushes a whole bunch of other churches right off the map because there are plenty of American denominations that don't even believe the Bible is an inspired book and lots believe that the story of Genesis chapter 1 and 2 could be eons, could have been just made up to prop up the Jews, give them special significance, come up with a storyline for how sin entered the world. Listen, friends, this group of people is unique and they're doing something. Now, let's go to an accurate translation. Some people don't like the nearly inspired version, they call it, the NIV. But tonight I'm here to tell you, the NIV fulfills a role. And that role is, is it's a dynamic translation of the Bible. And it tries to capture... The intended meaning. It is a translation, but it it tries to get the essence of what's being said as opposed to a wooden literalism of exactly every word. But I'm not living and dying on one translation here. It does not call it the everlasting gospel. It calls it the eternal gospel. Friends, tell yourself there's a reason and ask yourself what the reason is. Why does it say eternal here instead of everlasting? Think about it. It says eternal in another one, the New American Standard Bible, having an eternal gospel to preach. Let's go a little farther. An eternal gospel, contemporary English version, an eternal gospel. As a matter of fact, if you want to go back and look at the, if you want to get your, Computer commentaries out, and look, you're going to see far and away, most translations are going to call this eternal. There's a reason why. Because eternal captures a better essence of what the gospel is. It not only goes forward, but it goes as far backwards as eternity. And I'm going to show you when we're all done here tonight, that makes a big difference. Let's go back here. There are a lot of people who believe that the Old Testament is one story about God and the New Testament is another. Some people are ignorant to the fact that the gospel is mentioned in the Old Testament or that Paul, the New Testament writer, tells us that the gospel was preached in the Old Testament. Here it is. Therefore, since the promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to come short of it. That would be a good message to give to the Hebrew people living after the cross. They fell short. That's why you have that 490 weeks. It was a 500-year almost moment of probation. And by the way, friends, it's just a tad over 500 years since most consider the Protestant Reformation to have begun. These general time frames are lining up in some similar ways. Not that I'm giving general history an absolute prophetic Authority, But I just want you to know when we see that there was about 1800 years for Abraham and his seed up to the cross and about 1800 years after the cross up to the final act of vindication in the most holy place. These things have some merit of reflection. They ought to be thought about just a little bit. But since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest you come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us Paul's day, Paul's people, as well as to them. This is a direct reference back to all of those Hebrews who came up through the ages hoping for the Messiah. And what Paul is telling us, the gospel was preached to them. Is this clear, friends? I want you to be absolutely certain you understand what's being said here. The word gospel was not created in the New Testament. It is a function of an eternal reality of who God is. And while it is a Greek word, it is a word that represents something about the one who came to save us, not just an act of getting us out of hell. The gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard didn't profit them because it was not mixed with faith with those who heard it. And Paul goes in Romans to say, How then shall they call on him of whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? You see, it takes... God says, I want bread on my table. In other words, God's people, blessed financially, are to bring the resources into the organized work of his church to make sure that preachers can be sent. As it is written still in the book of Romans. How beautiful... on the the mountains are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Where's he quoting from? Does anybody know? He's quoting out of the book of Isaiah. Who bring glad tidings of good things. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who's believed our report? So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth. This is a quote out of Psalm 19. And their words to the end of the world. You see, Paul used the Old Testament freely. Sometimes a little loosely. (laughs) And he quoted often from what we call the Greek version of the Bible, the Septuagint. But Paul had a little dynamic sense himself about the application of Scripture. But he's making something very clear. The, The message about God is not something new that appeared with Jesus. The gospel has been around. And then in Galatians he says, in the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by what? By faith. He preached to Abraham. I want to know, what was Abraham? Was he a Jew or a Gentile? He was clearly a Gentile. But I want to tell you something. When he entered into a relationship with Jesus, and a few generations later when he had a son named Jacob... Who became called Israel, we see the origination of the Jewish communion and community. Abraham himself was a Gentile who heard the call of grace, received by faith the words in confidence of what God said he could do. And believed that in him, that is in Abraham and Sarah, through their lineage, there would come a blessing to all the world. That person was Jesus Christ. So then you who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Now, Jesus wanted everybody to understand that he himself had come to fulfill this. And he says, it says in Luke 4, So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. As he was handed the book of the prophet who... Isaiah, when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Friends, I'm doing the same thing here right now. I am not Jesus. I am standing as a messenger of His. I'm part of that three angels' message. I believe there ought to be an understanding of who God really is and that the eternal gospel ought to be understood clearly. Jesus said when He closed the book, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And did they like it or did they not like it? No, they didn't like it. As a matter of fact, by the time Jesus arrived on the scene, if you were poor, you were not blessed on the outside. If you were diseased, you were even worse off. Jesus came to do what had been promised and experienced in the past ages, but he came if all of those things in the past ages were shadows. If they were little streams, Jesus came as the great Niagara to pour forth grace on this world like it had never been poured on it before. And by the way, friends, we're supposed to make sure the fountain keeps on flowing freely, beautifully, and clearly. So what is the eternal gospel? Well, there's the Greek words right out of Revelation, euangelion, ionion. And what it says is, good news, eternal. It's existing through the eternal ages. I want you to think about the good news goes backwards and it goes forwards. It matters. No doubt gospel is used in its constant New Testament sense and the gospel is called everlasting as declaring the eternal truth of God. I'm going to bring in a few commentaries here because its great truths have always existed. Do you believe this? Yes or no? all right? Because it will forever remain unchanged, yes or no? And because its effects will be everlasting. But let's go just a little bit farther. Malachi, prophet of God, writing towards, definitely he is the last recorded prophet in the Old Testament history. He says, I am the Lord. I change what? Not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. And Paul will pick this up in Hebrews and say, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is certainly a coordinated message here. No wonder it's guided by the Holy Spirit. But I want you to understand something. The gospel existed before there was sin. The gospel was proclaimed in the Garden of Eden. The gospel was proclaimed in the symbolism of the Old Testament sanctuary. The gospel was proclaimed in its most glorious moment through the life of Jesus Christ. The gospel is to continue to be acclaimed throughout eternity. And I'm here to tell you when the ransomed to the earth are redeemed, the Bible says we'll still get together and talk about the gospel every Sabbath. Can you say Amen. Why? Because the gospel, the good news, is not an act of God. The gospel is God himself. The Bible tells us that before he made man, he was prepared to save man. Giving him free choice, knowing there was a civil war. God understood this could cost an awful lot. But love is worth it. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life. And that's all important for somebody to stop and think about. Whether your name's written in the book of life or not, there's going to be a moment when you confess that Christ is Lord and God is King and the world is His. The Bible tells us that we've been bought with a price. We ought to glorify God. But the Bible also tells us that God knit us together in in our mother's wombs. Listen, I had one of you tell me. I don't know if you're here tonight. But I had the most beautiful thought. You share with me some of the most beautiful thoughts. Listen to this. I had a knitter listening the other night or the other day and somebody talked about Psalm 139 and this knitter found me. Might have even been me. I know, but I don't think it was. And she said this to me. She said, you know, you need to know something about knitters. I was knit together in my mother's womb. She said, knitters touch every stitch. You think about that. So when David's writing and talking about how intimately God is acquainted with us, my oh my, when we had Dr. Hayes here and he said there's enough DNA in us to go back to Pluto and back to Pluto and back to Pluto 12 times. This God we serve is amazing beyond understanding. And there's a witness and a testimony in the biological and the chemical and the physical world to where this world's going to be without excuse. This complexity is going to be beyond any form of chance. And any honest man or woman in the sciences is going to be able to hear that his voice has gone out to all the world and is lying under the ends of it. Indeed, the good news has existed. Four things I want you to think about. If God is the good news, then the offer that was made to man was made to Lucifer before he became Satan. I want you to think about this. I don't know that Jesus would have had to die. I don't understand what the ramifications would have been. But the God who showed up in the garden is the same God who showed up on the cross. And when he appealed to Lucifer to change, when he appealed to Lucifer to repent because Lucifer had already gone a long ways, the God who offered to save us made the same offer, absolutely, indisputably, logically coherent and consistent, that same God gave Lucifer a chance to start over. I want you to think about it. We're living in the midst of the biggest battle that's ever been fought. All the energies of heaven have been poured into saving us. There are angels in this room tonight. There are evil angels that want to be here distracting us. But I'm here to tell you, if God is the eternal gospel himself, it's not just that he did something. That doing was just an act of who he is. If he's the one that said, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh," it's because he knew that the actions issue forth from the inner man as well. God's not content with an outward obedience. God's looking for an obedience that's prompted. That's why when he was done with Saul, oh, he loves Saul. He told Samuel, quit crying. Oh, Samuel was disappointed. I don't know how much prophetic pride was on the line that he had picked a bad one. Oh, he was human. (laughs) I'm not saying Samuel did think about it, but it wouldn't surprise me if he thought about it. And God had to tell him, would you quit crying over him? I've rejected him now. He's gone past the point of being willing to submit to me. I've got another man. And you're not going to recognize him at first but I've looked at what's inside him. He didn't say I looked at him and saw he's a giant killer. He said, I looked at what's inside him. I've been shaping him, and he's been letting me put my divine hand on his life, and he's, he gets the low post, and he gets left out, but he's not bitter and rude about him. And I've chosen a man after my own heart. The offer that was made to Adam and Eve, and the offer that was made to you and me on the cross, was made to Lucifer. Lucifer. Second point, some people look at the Old Testament and the New Testament and the model they ought to have is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. People say the Old Testament was law, the New Testament was grace. If that's the case, then why did Paul choose Abraham as his A1 model about what righteousness by faith looks like? i want you to think about this the old testament is not law the new covenant did not bring grace as a new commodity when david sinned he prayed that god would put a new and right spirit in him he asked that he would be washed with hyssop he didn't say god do i need to go climb the holy stairs grace is not a commodity of the new testament grace is a commodity of the entire old testament when god showed up in the garden and the people he came to save ran away from him he could have said ah enough with them but god loves too much because he's love. and when he showed up in the garden he said listen i never intended this for you but work's going to be hard and you're going to sweat and i never intended this for you but babies are going to bring pain before they bring joy and I, I never intended this for you either. But someday I'm going to step on your head because you can't ruin everything for everybody. That was grace. I want to tell you, when Noah preached for 120 years, that was grace. When Abraham and his son Isaac were on Mount Moriah and he had made that three-day journey and, he, and his son says to him, Dad, we've got it all, but we don't have the sacrifice. And his father says, it's okay, son. God has the sacrifice. He'll provide it when they get up to the top of the mountain and he raises his hand to take his son's life and God says not so fast that's grace I want to tell you there are times when judgment on the wicked that have no interest but perverting corrupting and destroying and there's some pretty cataclysmic judgment that's sometimes grace too if I told you there was a a group of serial murderers on their way into this church, but there were some policemen out there that were going to have to do business with them. You wouldn't be saying, oh, please, 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 don't use your guns. The Old Testament is not Dr. Jekyll. And the New Testament is not Mr. Hyde or however the literature goes. I'm not even that familiar with it. God reached every person in the Old Testament with an invitation of grace, just like He's reaching out to you and me now. And if you don't understand that, pray God. He'll give you eyes to see. There was nobody good enough in the Old Testament to earn salvation. It has always only ever been an act of grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that comes directly out of the same book of Galatians in which Abraham is an example. The Bible says Abraham believed. And that's how it all got underway. God's law is eternal and changeless. Now hang on, because my little illustration in the beginning about the red dot, it's right now, especially if you're not a Seventh-day Adventist. And for some of us, all of us, it is still for us as well. But if you've not made a decision yet to keep the Sabbath, the red dot's got to move. You see, this Old Testament sanctuary is the story of God wanting to be with His people, the absolute consummate cosmic focus of God saving His people. I'll die for you. I'll open up a relationship with my Father for you. And I will advocate in your behalf, not because my father's different than me, but there is such a thing as holiness in the universe and justice and judgment. We came into this plan of saving you as a Godhead. My role right now is to be the God-man as I was the man-God but that that little one of the reasons people reject a doctrine of a heavenly sanctuary i don't know how it could be any more clear but if this sanctuary is central to all of god's teachings it didn't go away at the cross Paul just directed us in the book of Hebrews up to what God's now doing with the merits of what he did on the cross. It's, it's dynamic power to create real change and glory for God. But I'm here to tell you, one of the reasons people reject that sanctuary doctrine, because if you hang on to it, you end up in the most holy place. And in the most holy place is the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant is the law of God. And of all the commandments that relate to relationship which is what Jesus died to restore is living to restore and is looking to reinstate it in an eternal way is the fourth commandment that says remember the sabbath day to keep it holy it's not because God wants to be the killjoy it's because God is saying you know what when you go to experiencing this sabbath rest at first it's going to be it's going to be awkward because you're used to doing all your worldly fun things and you're going to find out That stopping to think about life is a little bit uncomfortable. And withdrawing your affections from the world is a little bit unnatural. But I'm here to tell you, friends, most of the world has to have a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde approach to the Old Testament because you've got to relegate God's law, especially that Sabbath law, to the Jews. But I'm here to tell you that law, the only part of the Bible written with God's finger, is a... Well, let's see if I have this slide up. There's eight commandments that tell us how not to ruin the relationships. And there's two commandments in the middle. Honor your father and mother, that family unit in in the garden, and keep your relationship with me alive. That was in the garden too. And the other eight that are around it, they're in the negative. It's a shell. Don't do this, you'll ruin it. Don't do that, you'll ruin it. And I want to tell you, what child could be happier than to grow up in a home where mommy and daddy love each other and they love God? (laughs) It's amazing. It's amazing. You see, if God Himself is the eternal gospel, then there is no Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And the law of God, the Ten Commandment, moral code is in place because what God is really after is a relationship. The devil knows this, friends. He's a smart cookie. And he's been out there trying to rearrange doctrine and habit and practice so that people don't really get to know God, don't want to be with Him in eternity, and the best way you know it is they don't even want to spend one day with Him. Think about it. Oh, eternity, endless bliss, forever, being with a God I don't even want to be with for 24 hours. Most people don't like God. There's two reasons. One is they love the world, and God gets in the way of that. And number two is the God they've been told about burns people forever and seems exceptionally arbitrary and capricious. I want to make one more point. And that is, when we had the encounter between Lucifer and Eve in the garden, where was the gospel? And how was it manifested? Let me just ask you this question. Would we all be celebrating a bit more good news if she never would have taken the fruit and eaten? Wasn't God's directive, don't eat the fruit, a gospel message? And how about every other prophet that's followed since then that says in the name of holiness and hopefulness, don't do that, it's going to ruin you. The gospel was in the garden. God said, don't eat the fruit. It was a glorious good news warning which was ignored. And God could have said, that's it. But instead he said, I'm on my (laughs) way. Think about it. All right, heaven, hold the fort, I'm on my way. They need me down there. They're cold and afraid, they don't know what to do. And he came looking for them. At the heart of every false gospel or false teaching is a war. Oh, sorry for the typo on the character and the law of God. Tonight, friends, I want you to understand something. The gospel is an act because the gospel is God. And He stepped in to do what only a God of love could and would do. The eternal gospel is the unchanging love of God revealed in a perfect law Dedicated to protecting the liberty of the universe. After sin, it was manifested in promise and prophecy of a coming deliverer. He did come. But the great mystery of salvation is that through his own self sacrifice, paying the price for our sins, he would remake our hearts, restoring a love for the law of liberty. Now, I'm going to end on these slides, and they all come out of the Old Testament. Surprise, surprise. I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit. If I, if I told you these were out of a New Testament book and I put the wrong, wrong chapter and verse up there, you wouldn't know the difference. Because the Old Testament and the Old Testament are the stories and the theology, it's, it's the stories that explain the theology that Paul's going to develop. Where do you think he got all of his ideas? It was an enlightened mind through the Holy Spirit filled with all of these stories. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Sounds a little bit like a new covenant. And I'll take the heart of stone out of your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh. In other words, God says, I'm going to take you from unfeeling to feeling. It's an amazing journey. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you'll keep my judgments and do them. And when that happens, friends, there is a beauty to holiness. Let me give a testimony before I put my last few slides up. I let God pick my wife. I let God pick my job, my career. I let God pick where I live. I let God pick whatever He wants to pick for me. And I'm here to tell you if I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't change anything except some of my bad decisions when I didn't hear well or do well. There's a beauty in holiness. I've raised four children. They're all successful, happy people, productive, respectful citizens of the United States of America, and most of them seeking to do something to advance God's cause. There's beauty in holiness. My home is happy. It's ordered. It's clean. It's joyful. Oh, we have our moments. But I'm here to tell you something. This new covenant experience with God was experienced by Adam and Eve. It was experienced by Abraham and David. It was proclaimed by Jeremiah. And Jesus came himself finally to say, no more shadows, I'm here in the flesh. And it was proclaimed with power like never before. This is eternal life, Jesus said. Did I make this sermon up? Is my theology good or bad? Let's just end here. This is eternal life. He doesn't reference to heaven. He doesn't reference to no more crying, pain, or tears. Because we can begin the joy of knowing life eternal when we receive Jesus. This is eternal life. When the burdens roll off of your heart, when you're when your spirit is set free to worship, when you don't carry around a bunch of guilt and fear, this is eternal life. When you know my Father and the one He sent, who happens to be Jesus Christ. Friends, God came down to this world because He was, is, and will forever be the gospel. There's a battle going on. It's between Satan and our dear Savior. And at the end of the day, the issue is, who will I love, worship, and obey? Tonight, friends, I'm a gospel messenger. I'm a modern-day voice echoing in the sentiments of those prophetic cadences. I want the trumpet to give a certain sound. He's calling all of the Adventists that are listening to me to not be the red dot that never moves. God's been speaking to you, and He said... How come I was good enough in the beginning, but along the way, you've just started doing your own thing, spending too much time making money or, or, or getting more of this and more of that or having fun. How come you won't follow me on to be a part of the urgent message that I've raised you up to be? There are Adventists here who've gone backwards, not forwards. We used to call that backsliding. The Bible still does. When Jesus is saying, follow me, I'm not going to make you try to jump the Grand Canyon, but just take a step with me. I praise the Lord that all of you are here. We had at least two people last night who were surprised at how many people were here. God's awakening his people. He's doing a work. But I'm here to tell you, friends, for those of you that have never given Jesus a chance to be Lord of your life, I'm appealing to you tonight. The highest order of joy in the universe is to be at peace with God in the midst of a troubled world. My life's not been without plenty of trouble. My job puts me in contact with hundreds and dozens of people. That all by itself is a formula for trouble. You can laugh. Sometimes I create the trouble. But I'm here to tell you, we have somewhere to run. Jesus said you can call him, through the Apostle Paul, you can call him Daddy. Some of you didn't have good daddies, but you've got one you need to meet. I'm appealing to you tonight. If you've heard these messages before, you haven't heard this one before, you've heard ones like it. But I'm just appealing you, to keep going. <laughs> there are so many Adventists who are living their lives without the first bit of urgency about anything, while our schools get smaller and close. While our church ages and we think all the young people have to be treated unique. We're taking our cues from the social scientist. I thought we were a family and we took our cues from the Bible. We've tried that system for about a generation. Maybe it's time to go back to loving people and telling them the truth as it is in Jesus. We've had too many. I mean, you look at this younger generation. They don't give blood. They don't go out and do things outside. I mean, all the things that, I mean, so you don't have to like fishing. But I can tell you when I was driving back from Montana and I heard an advertisement for blood, that basically said young people aren't giving blood. By the way, friends, that blood drive's coming up. If you can, sign up. Especially if you're O negative. I'm here to tell you, our world has focused everything in on on people. And one of the reasons they're telling you kids this is because they want to steal them away from you and God. And they know the more they self-focus, the less they'll other-focus. And this is the perfect journey to the implosion of the family the church and happiness everybody gets to decide I like the fact this is a young man in the picture the bible says remember the creator in the days of your youth so tonight I'm appealing friends it's time to go it's time to decide if you're watching on the internet I'm appealing to you Jesus is appealing if you're listening to me in this auditorium, I'm appealing to you. Let's follow God all the way home, all the way to the high places. And let's take the joy. I'll tell you what, if I was in the boat like those disciples were, and the storm came down, and I was a fisherman, and I'd live my life on the sea, and I was afraid... Jesus came walking. They were complaining that everybody that ate the bread and the fish and he fed those thousands, they were complaining they wanted to make him king and he wouldn't let them. What's Jesus' problem? Jesus says, no. Get in the boat and start to the other side. He goes up on a mountain and he starts to pray for them. A storm comes because they're sitting in the boat complaining about Jesus. And when you make problems for yourself that don't need to exist, God sometimes sends problems to put sense Back in you. And Jesus comes down off the mountain and starts walking on the water and he gets close enough to them and they say, it's a ghost. Only they don't say it like that. I won't scream into the microphone. And what does Jesus do? Is he let them squirm in their fear for a little bit? That's probably what I would have done. He says, be of good cheer. It's me oh, man, life just got better. And I want to tell you, Peter says, oh, the Jew, let me walk on the water like you. And Jesus says, come. Oh, I'm pretty something here, aren't I? Look, guys, turns back, a big wave rolls in. He can't see Jesus. He's going to the bottom. And Jesus, Jesus doesn't run that fast, but he is God. He never used his God power for himself, but from wherever Jesus was on the water to where Peter was, Jesus was there and his hand was down. He had him. Listen, friends, it's for you and me too. He's got you. And how about that night he stood up in the boat after being so tired and he raised his hands and he said, peace, be still. And every element in that part of Palestine, obeyed His voice. This is a living God. He's alive today. He's alive for you. He's alive for you on the Internet. He's real. I know it. Is there anybody else here that knows it? Amen. Let's pray. Lord. I've asked people to make a decision, Lord. I know this is my calling, and I know this is your moment. I'm praying for every person watching on the Internet. I'm praying, Lord, that the voice of the Holy Spirit, which is the function of the spirit of prophecy, that the secrets of their heart would be revealed, and they would know the voice of conviction, a conviction that leads to a holy liberation and freedom and joy. I pray, give them that freedom, Lord. May they go on to know you're real. I'm praying for every boy and girl and man and woman who's in this auditorium tonight. I'm praying, Lord, give them that freedom to take the next step. If they've stopped the journey, they came here tonight, which was at your prompting, and I don't know what you're prompting to do beyond that, but I pray give us back our urgency, and for those who have not made a decision for you tonight, Lord, I'm praying give them the freedom between you and them to say Lord I'll follow you thank you Lord that someone gave me the invitation thank you for that church school and that church school teacher thank you for that grandma who prayed for me and that mother who put me in that school and that father who paid the bills I'm just praying now may we all make a decision to follow Jesus all the way to heaven and meet at that tree of life and enjoy an eternity together. Thank you for stepping in to save man. Thank you for stepping in to save me. Thank you for stepping in to save all my friends, my brothers and sisters here. And may we do what we can to make sure everybody else gets the invitation too. I'm praying this tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more.